Authors on the Air. Welcome to Authors on the Air. I'm Terry Shepard. Amazon's author page states that Claudia Blood blends her science and IT background with a lifelong passion for Dungeons and Dragons to pen epic fantasies and sci-fi sagas. She just released the first book in her Relic trilogy entitled Company Assassin. Reviewers praise the book as a five-star hit. If you're a sucker for well-written and finely drawn fantasy that keeps the pace pumping and the twist turning, writes one, then this should be your next read. She's created a fantasy world much like our own, but with elements of sci-fi and a hint of post-apocalypse. Very much like our own world these days. Claudia describes herself as a wife, mom, and pet wrangler who somehow finds time to turn out amazing fiction. As we always do before we bring her on, here is a taste of Company Assassin. Duff Roman stepped out of the kitchen into the small back porch and leaned against the wall. The humidity hit him like a wet sock. He had about five minutes before they devoured the cake and came looking for him. They'd find him instantly, unless he fled out of their little fenced yard, their small bit of safe place. Duff took a deep breath. Slowly, he pulled the envelope apart bit by bit until the flap was opened. All he had to do was take off the slip. His stomach clenched. Another deep breath, and he pulled out the folded piece of paper. The harsh sound was his breathing. This was it. He just needed to open it to find out. The paper seemed to open at a jungle slug's pace. Then the words focused. A rejection. The last family had rejected his application. His lungs squeezed and he couldn't catch his breath. What could he do? The odd jobs wouldn't cover a place to stay. He could no longer help support the orphanage. The small amount of money they got in donations barely covered food for one person at the company's prices. That left Matilda with few options. There were plenty of men who'd looked at her. She hadn't seemed interested. Would she have to make a choice she didn't want to make to support the orphanage? Guilt made it hard to breathe. Maybe he did need to look more closely at the independent crews. They were dangerous. He'd have to hope he could find a reputable one and that they'd find relics. His heart raced and the world grew warm. Neither option pointed to him surviving long. He crumpled the note and shoved it in his pocket. Just as he stood up, a sharp buzz pierced the air. It took him a moment to realize that the buzzing that surrounded him wasn't just in his head. The town alarm. The town was under attack by demons. Claudia Blood, welcome. Hello, Terry. How are you doing? It is great to have you on the program, and what a fascinating opening stanza. How did you create the world that is Company Assassin? So I actually got this world from a dream, 
believe it or not. I woke up with this scene in my head that just resonated with me of these men that were whacking their way through the jungle and they unearthed this like ancient uh, tomb or something and they were all excited because they might be able to find a relic. And I'm like, okay, well, what's a relic, right? My dream mind. And so they get inside of this, um, this, this tomb and there's this alien equipment inside of it and a pedestal they put this old watch on there, this silver engraved antique watch on there, and the machine comes to life and transports like it was just like the, you know, fire and like all this electricity. It transports this 80 aerobics instructor into the building in the middle of the jungle. And I went, okay, I have got to find out what in the world is happening in here. And so that was the kernel that kind of started the whole entire story. So I had to work my way, like, how did they get here? What is a relic? What time travel? Wait a minute, what's happening? And so work my way back. And so that's actually in the second book. So it's a little bit of a giveaway, but um, that's where the world came from was a dream. And the second book is nearly done, completely done? The second book is completely done, and it's coming out on uh, February 15th. Wow, that's productive. Yep. How long did yep. it take you to... And the third to... book is coming out on March 15th, so the whole entire uh, trilogy is going to be out by March 15th. How long did it take you to write Company Assassin from ideation to publication? So the idea kind of banged around in my head for a while. When I got serious and pulled it up, it probably took me about a year to write it. Um, but I'm a little bit of an odd duck that I work on multiple things at the same time because of the whole, you know, my mind skips around. And so I've got like three projects usually going. And so it was probably a year total duration with me working on it. And was the second book easier to write? It was a little bit easier. Um, the, the thing about the second book, you had to, like, the first book is setting it up. The second book was, like, the middle of the story. And then the last book in the series, like, bringing all those threads together that came up with, you know, how the world evolved. So I would say the third book was probably the hardest, trying to bring it all together with good closure. How did you develop the Duff Roman character, your protagonist? He is, there's, there's two things. I have to confess that I love the villain in this book. The villain is my absolute favorite. Um, her name is Ravine, and she is a, um, a, like an evil genius kind of thing. She um, had a tragic event that happened in her past that caused her to basically enslave a planet and, you know, <laughs> endlessly look for her daughter who um, died a hundred, a couple hundred years ago. It's a very, um, uh, but she needed someone as a foil to her because she's cynical. She's been around the block. She's, you know, been obsessed over this and with the science and technology. And so here's Duff Roman and he cares overly about others, right? He's the, her, almost her exact opposite. He cares about the orphanage. He's doing things that are almost to his own detriment to help them survive. Whereas, you know, Ravine has been doing the exact opposite. So it was, I needed that sort of foil to who she was to, you know, to really bring it out. What first and got... he's a techie geek, and I love techie geeks. Sorry. <laughs> we are kindred spirits for sure. How did you um, yeah. first get interested in fantasy? 
I have honestly been playing Dungeons and Dragons since I was in the third grade. So it's been a long, long time. I played with my father and my little sister, and it just created this love of that fantastic world. Um, and then when I became a reader, I snapped up all of the, the old sci-fi and fantasies that were out there. And so it's been in my blood from the beginning. And sometimes fantasy is a whole lot more fun than your particular life at that moment in time. So it was an amazing escape from that. Who are some of the authors that you liked in the beginning? Oh, my gosh. Um, one of my favorite, um, Alan Dean Foster is one of my favorite um, authors. Um, he's got this one book that um, I absolutely adore. And it's for like very, um, Nora Crystal Tears is probably one of my favorite books. And it's because this alien who's not human, he's basically in essence a giant bug, but he like, and he's nobody in his culture and he just completely saves the world, right? I mean, he's the one that directs everything and makes a better outcome. So I just love that idea that anybody, even a bug could save the world and could help people. You are also on ClaudiaBlood.com a prolific blogger, and there was one of your posts that just came up a couple days ago that really touched me, and that was the top five similarities between your first book release and a hangover. Can you <laughs> do you remember those enough that you can recite those for us? I'm not sure that I do. Um, but I, well, I have it up here. I'm, I'm happy to read it because I, oh, go ahead. I, I yeah, oh, your class. voice is amazing, so it'll sound even better as you. <laughs> Number five, both leave you craving carbs. Oh my gosh, how many times have we done that? Right. Number four, both leave you queasy and weak. Number three, you may not have full memories of what happened. Number two, you swear you'll never do it again. And number one, good friends help get you home. How appropriate. Yeah, yeah. I've really been so fortunate with the people that have been along with me on this journey. Um, you and I both know Dawn, and she is so amazing as a developmental editor. And then I, I have Kelly, who's my virtual assistant and cover designer, and she is just amazing cheerleader and just like a social advocate. And I can't, you know, say enough about both of them. It's been amazing. And then all the writer friends, the community is amazing. I mean, they're so supportive and there's Facebook groups out there and I've got my own kind of private collection of friends and it's just like, and they're all there going, yay. So it's just, yeah, it's great. It's absolutely great. You're talking about Don Alexander of Don Alexander Books, who is a story consultant. And that was something that I never knew about until I met Mary at MurderCon. And we were having lunch, and she told me not only about the concept, but about this great person, this amazing woman who um, has a gift for helping turn good stories into great stories. Tell me more about your virtual assistant. What does she do for you? So Kelly Lambert, um, I uh, is my virtual assistant, and she, I. So one of the things that with authors is kind of that online presence and having something that is consistently going. So I've been blogging consistently, but I was a little nervous about doing it in the interactive environment on like Facebook and some of those other things. And so I was really kind of looking for someone that could help me make that a reality and understand some of the other things that needed to happen. And so I got the referral from Dawn to Kelly. <laughs> 
that's how kind of the world works. And she has just been amazing. We consult on the things to talk about. We talk about stories. We talk about like next steps to take. She's kind of my, I bounce so many ideas off of her. It's just, I'm glad she's so patient with me because <laughs> I'm sure I like randomly send her, hey, what do you think about this? And she's going to be, and I'm sure she's like, okay, this is, you know, Claudia. And then we'll respond back with whatever take she has on it. So um, she does schedule posts for me on Facebook and she does all of my cover design that that beautiful cover she did that and it's just amazing and has basically done the whole uh, branding for the whole series from your point of view what makes a compelling book cover this is a little hard for me because honestly a lot of the books that I, they, well, you have to be, it has to be right for your genre. So the romance definitely has some attributes with, you know, the couples or the one woman or whatever on the cover. Um, this has been a struggle for me because you want to try and put the elements of what your story is about, but not sort of like, it's not a romance. So I can't put a couple on there. Right. It's not, you know, um, it's not an urban fantasy. So I can't have kind of that, that look to it. So um we struggled. We looked through a bunch of the different covers that were out there. We also recognize there's a trend that's happening now. I don't know if you've noticed this, but that the titles have gotten bigger. So before it was the physical copy of the book that was really important with what it looked like on the bookshelf. But now it's like when you look on your browser and you're looking at your Kindle, what does that title look like in the little snapshot? Can you see enough to know what it is to remember that you want to read it? And so... It's one of the trends that we saw. So Kelly really helped guide some of the choices on those. Claudia Blood is our guest. The book is Company Assassin. It's a five-star success on Amazon. And it sounds like the rest of the trilogy is almost ready to go in the pipeline and we'll get to read it all this year. That seems to be the biggest challenge for us as authors is keeping the content flowing for our readers. How do you do that? Absolutely. Um, I delayed doing a release on this book until I was sure that that third book was going to come together and then um, planned it out so that everything was, you know, lined up the way that it seems to be working in today's day and age. And so I've got, I do something called the HB90, which is a Sarah Cannon planning. And so one of my goals is to have, um, so the release that I'm doing, but one of the other goals is making sure that there's more writing coming down the pipe. So I've got multiple projects that are in, um, in the pipe that have been completed. Like I just sent a separate manuscript over to um, an editor to review uh, the second book in another series. And when I hit three books on that series, I will also release that out into the world. So I think it's super important that you, you know, have those goals, take time for that second book in the future project so that you're able to, um, you're able to keep the process going and more content coming out. HB 90 is a fascinating philosophy. Tell us more about that. Mm -hmm. So I come from the IT world originally, right? And I still work there. And one of the things that they do is, you know, the agile movement. And you can do things with a Kanban board, which is basically a quarterly review of everything that, that needs to happen. You pick your goals, you pick your projects, and you put the tasks on this big board. And so it takes the, what should I do next question out of your mind? And you just pull the next thing on your list from priority, put it into the middle of doing, you focus on 
and getting it done. When it's done, you move it over and then you pick the next thing off the list. And so it's, it's a method for helping you focus on um, your productivity, actually. So it's, a, it's pretty neat. And I just, um, I've, this is my second quarter from doing it, but I can tell the difference in my productivity because I'm more focused on the important things and not just squirrel moments wandering away. So they say that half of our lives as authors isn't spent writing, it's spent promoting and trying to get things published. How do you plan to uh, promote Company Assassin? That is a great question. And I have to tell you, unfortunately, that I'm still at the stage of throwing spaghetti at the wall. So um, I've read a number of different, uh, I've got a lot of different Facebook groups that I'm in and a lot of different author um, experts that I've been following. And so I followed some of their advice. So I'm doing um, genre specific advertising, paid advertising. I've got Facebook group giveaways. I've got um, trying to get like the book sprouts and the um, for getting reviews and that kind of jazz because I'm nobody at this point. So why would someone spend the money to write to read my book? Like it's either the interest on it or they've got some social validation that there's, you know, that it's good. And so um, I've been kind of focusing on that aspect. And then I I'm, I'm also have a book tour set up um, starting when the second book comes out and we'll go for, or just after, and we'll go for, I think it was 14 weeks or some crazy thing like that. So we'll see how that goes. Yeah. Yeah. But um, definitely I, it's unfortunately in this day and age, there are so many great books that are out there so many out there and how do you discover the one that's right for you in that sort of crowd of other options so i'm trying to at least give people the option or the, have the ability to discover me you know try and raise myself up a little bit i don't know if it's going to work but that's what i'm trying organizing that a book sense? tour is a huge undertaking who's helping you set that up and how is it working in the pandemic mode oh i got to tell you the pandemic i think with a new release so I would have known, I think I might have delayed a little bit before trying to do a release because people are afraid of social media right now, especially with some of the crazy events that have happened recently. So um, I decided to go with a company called Goddess Fish, which is, I know, a crazy name. Um, but I have an editor that I work with, Lori Sanders, who recommended them. Um, she used to uh, own a, a small publishing company, and she said that they did a magnificent job with promotion. And so I went with her recommendation and um, scheduled the uh, the tour. And I have to tell you, this is my own naivety. When you do schedule these tours, I was sent 14 five-question author interviews <laughs> that I had to fill out before they would schedule, as well as I had to write five to 10 blog posts on particular topics. And so <laughs> that got added to my list of things that I needed to do. And, you, you know, so that was uh, my own naivety. I didn't realize that it would, you know, that that would instantly be in my plate. It was a little daunting, but it's done and out and I'm scheduled. <laughs> well, Judy and Marianne are the two um, main people over there at Goddess, Goddess Fish. And uh, mm -hmm. I'm always fascinated by these companies that support writers like us that make, make that all possible. Will your, yep. um, how will you actually go about this book tour in this world where we can't do it in person? 
It's all going to be virtual. So it's all going to be going to blogger sites, I believe, and then being there to interact with the uh, people who comment and trying to write things that make them want to comment. Um, one of the questions was actually asked, like, what am I afraid of? And so I wrote out the story of what I was afraid of and thinking, well, maybe it'll connect to somebody who, uh, you know, wants to know a little bit more. So, but yeah, all virtual. I, I won't be leaving home to do it. You're going to have to tell us the answer to that question now that you've thrown it out there. <laughs> I am afraid of low heights. It might actually be afraid of falling. And so I've been in a hot air balloon, no problem. Airplanes, no problem. Mountain views looking down, no problem. But I get up on a rock or too high on a, like a tippy staircase and I am terrified. And uh, one summer with a girlfriend, we did this um, women's outdoor adventure thing that was um, up in northern Minnesota. And one of the events was a rope event. And so there are these ropes up on these trees and platforms 20 feet up in the air. And you climb up there and they hook you onto a harness. And there's a tight rope in front of you with like two little ropes around, you know, your your hip height. Right. And they're like, OK, go. And I'm like, you know, and it, it's just like that first step. Oh, my God. Right on that rope and trying to like, okay, you're safe. I've got the harness. You're going to be fine. No, I'm going to fall. Right. I mean, it was terrifying. I did make it. And so I made it across all of them and the hesitation with each one got a little bit less, but that first, that first step, I mean, my heart was going crazy. It was unbelievable. But the fun part is the last thing was a zip line. And so you, you, you get on the thing and you slide down to the bottom from the 20 feet up or 30 feet up or whatever it was at that point. That was amazing. That was the most fun. I would do the whole thing over just for that zip line experience. Claudia Blood is our guest. Her website is claudiablood.com. That is one of the most interesting, compelling, and mysterious pen names I've ever heard. How did you choose it? I will confess that I had thought for a long time that I was going to be a horror writer. Um, I have some small horror publications. Um, I've got horror uh, writing inside of my uh, hard drive right now. I had kids. And as soon as I had kids, I was like, wait, wait, wait. I don't need to think about horror anymore. It's already scary enough having children. So I backed away from the horror and decided that I was going to be um, a different type of author. Um, I did try romance for a while. The romance community is amazing from an author perspective. Absolutely amazing. I wish I could be an, uh, an author, a romance author, but I can't do the beats. It's not the stories that I want to tell. So I landed in the fantasy and science fiction, realizing that was my first love and it's where I should have started to begin with. What was the appeal of writing for you in the beginning? Why did you become a writer? Well, I think it's like everybody else that um, you have stories in your head and you want to get them out. You want to, um, okay, I remember the first story that I wrote. <laughs> this is this is quite, um, I think I was in the third or fourth grade and my little sister had this yellow notepad that she was going to scribe down my story. And it was all Dungeons and Dragons based. So I had like a cleric who was going to save the world and like whatever else. And it was just, and I'm sure it was like five pages worth of rambling in my little sister's handwriting, which she couldn't really even write at that point. But I just remember loving that idea idea of 
telling these stories and affecting people and giving them hope and just really telling the different possibilities that are out there, even if they don't experience it in their own lives. Do people still play Dungeons and Dragons or is that yesterday's fish? I still do today. Oh man, I still do today. My husband and I, we, you know how some people invite people over for cards? We invite our friends over and we play Dungeons and Dragons and we've got a couple different couples that we um, have games with. And we've been doing this for, since I've, I've been married, um, it'll be 16 years this year. Um, and that was one of the things that uh, we just loved. Okay, <laughs> on our first date, I, he said something. I was like, hey, do you play Dungeons and Dragons? And he did this whole like, what is this Dungeons and Dragons you speak of? Because you know Dungeons and Dragons is such a chick magnet. And I was like, no, 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 you don't understand. I played since the third grade. I played in high school. I played in college. I haven't found my new D&D group after college. And it was just like we instantly clicked after that. And um, we've been playing ever since. So yes, Dungeons and Dragons is alive and well. And there are a lot, a huge community of people who play it. What games do your kids play? We have started them on Dungeons and Dragons. We did our first campaign uh, not too long ago. They're eight and 10, so they still might be just a, a little bit, I know, just a little bit young for that. Um, well, you started at age three, you said. <laughs> you started at three. No, no, third grade. Oh, third, third grade. grade. Okay. okay. <laughs> third grade, third grade. Yeah, no. Three would be crazy. Though there are some um, Dungeons and Dragons fanatics who have a kid version of the game that they play that that is just um, more like storytelling and interactive with the kids. So um, I was I never did that part, but they play a lot of imagination games. So there's a lot of you know Playmo firefighters with dragons that my daughter brings, and they have some kind of adventure that they they go through and do. So when you talk to your advanced readers and your five star reviewers, what do they say? is great about your writing? What I've heard most frequently is that it draws them in and that they don't want to put it down and that they want to get to the end of the book to find out what happened. That's, that's probably the most common thing that I've heard. And I love writing chapter endings. Can I just tell you that? Like trying to find just the right place to end that chapter so you're like, oh, what's going to happen next? Oh, I mean, yeah, you totally have that figured out. I mean, I, I, the reason I picked the stanza I did from that first chapter was I wanted everyone to hear that cliffhanger at the end. I wanted to turn immediately to figure out what that was. In your, in your, in your blog, um, one of the things that you wrote was, what is one small thing that you could do to put yourself on the path you want to be on? What's an example of that in your life? I think you make choices every single day when you get up in the morning and you have the choice with how you view the day. And so if you view the day as an opportunity that there's many wonderful things that will happen in the day that that just puts your mindset to be open to possibilities instead of closed um, and then I think it's the little choices. What was, I think I had read that um, 80 to 90% of what we do is all habit-based. And so it's also trying to cultivate habits that put you down that good path so that your automatic behavior helps you instead of hinders you. So, you know, after, this is going to sound really silly, but after I get out of the shower, I do a little exercise routine, right? I do some push-ups, I do some sit-ups, I do some, you know, planks and squats. And it's not anything big, 
but it's like just one more little habit that I can put on the thing for, you know, put on the plate for a good side. Another example is our local writers group. We decided to do daily write-ins. And so at eight o'clock at night, we get together. And even if just 25 minutes of it is productive, it's 25 minutes more that gets you down the path you want to go down with your writing. And so it's just those little things that hopefully will, you know, culminate into something bigger or like, you know, the interest rate thing that they always talk about that a little bit now over time, you know, you get the more and more later. And I forget what that term is actually called. I'm brain farting. <laughs> How do you process negative feedback? I have to tell you that the first rejection I got, I stopped writing cold. It was so, I did. I absolutely did. Um, and it wasn't even that bad of a rejection looking back. But I think that, that we authors put so much of ourselves and our hopes and dreams onto the page that when someone else doesn't like it, you, you know, you, you kind of curl up a little bit inside. Um, so what I'm trying to do with any sort of negative criticism is look at it logically and kind of say, okay, are there common threads in the negative that I need to work on as a writer, right? Like, are they saying that um, I don't have good endings or my characters are flat or whatever, like things that I can, are actionable? Um, and if there are, then I'm going to work on them, right? Because that's important. I want to I wanna be the best writer that I can be. Um, if it's more like, you know, how some people like chocolate chip cookies, right? So this is the not your cookie kind of thing that I got from Margie Lawson. Um, if you if you bake chocolate chip cookies and someone hates them, they are never going to like what you write. They are never going to want to eat your chocolate chip cookie. They're going to want their, you know, Girl Scout cookies or whatever else it is that they like. And so also sort of separating out and saying, okay, is this a not your cookie moment? Or is this like legitimate feedback that I need to take seriously? So that's what I'm trying. You're a mom. You're an IT professional. You're a pet wrangler. How do you find time to write? It's those little habits, right? So it's the little bits of time that you can push away that you can take for yourself to um, to do some writing. And I also think it's it's so easy to get sucked into social media, TV, um, whatever else is out there, right? Because everything is so um, eye-catching and interesting. And so it's kind of, okay, it's eight o'clock. I'm going to do at least 25 minutes, right? I'm going to, oh, the kids are, you know, watching a movie and the husband is at work. I'm going to sit down and write because, you know, I've got a deadline. I've got things that I want to do with it. So it's, it's taking a little bit of me time and making sure that it's, you know, focused on those things you want to do, like the goal stuff. So. What platform do you use to create? I have, um, so for actually producing the books, I have Vellum. I love, 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 did I mention love Vellum? It is just amazing. The first, you know, way back when I did manually create my own book and went through the whole technical deal of doing that, and it was a complete PETA. And I would um, never, I, I don't know that I could do it again. It was very daunting. Vellum makes it super, super easy um, to make things just really pretty. Um, and then I keep it basic beyond that. Um, I do uh, Google Docs so that I can uh, exchange with Dawn when we have, so we can do some feedback sessions when it's early. Um, and then I just have like, I think it's open office. Um, so nothing, nothing too crazy. Yeah. So how will you define success? As an author, 
I am trying to define success in that I find at least a couple people who like what I write and that I still feel continually inspired to produce writing. Um, I don't expect to win the lottery. You know, there's no, you know, that's, that's, and that's fine. I'm doing it because I have a love for doing it. And I'm just hoping that I can touch a few people. Claudia Blood is our guest. The book is Company Assassin, the first in the Relic Trilogy. Um, how can people find you on the web? www.claudiablood.com. That's it. I'm also on Facebook and Twitter and Pinterest, all under the same uh, Claudia Blood name. How do you manage that social media stuff? How do you decide how much time to spend interacting with your audience there? It's a hard thing for me because I do find so many interesting posts out there and I'm especially drawn to the art posts when they have like those gorgeous pictures that are out there, especially fantasy based. There's some just amazing artists out there. So it can be a little bit of a black hole for me. And so I try to limit my time when I've got, okay, you've got 15 minutes, go, right? And then go do whatever I can fit into 15 minutes and then, okay, I'm done. Hands off. <laughs> I wish I had your discipline. <laughs> it's so hard it's not to go down work, rabbit hole. Yeah. So the yeah, last absolutely. question that I ask every guest is this one. If you could go back and yeah. give advice to your 16-year-old self, what would you tell that girl? I would tell her to find herself. That would be honestly what I would do. Um, I spent a lot of my time from 16 to way older than that, um, being worried, being a people pleaser and kind of giving up my own time and my own energy. And so, and I was always just so worried about everybody else and so worried about just worried, 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 worried. Um, and so I think I would tell her to, it's okay to take time for you. It's okay to discover who you are and what works for you. And it's so it, that's, that's all okay. And there's nothing wrong with feeling things, right? Like just discover who you are, get really comfortable in your skin because that's the most important thing that you can do. And it's a pity that it feels like most people, it takes them well into adulthood to get that. And so I think that's what I would tell her. And some of us never get it. And some of us never get it. <laughs> it's a lifelong struggle. <laughs> Claudia Blood's book is Company Assassin. It's terrific. I got it yesterday in the mail and I spent most of the night reading it. It is definitely a page turner and worth uh, the five-star reviews that she's earned. Claudia, thank you so much for being on the program with us today. Thank you for having me. It was my pleasure. I'm really glad we could have this coffee together. Authors on the Air can be found on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and SoundCloud. We invite you to explore the many other podcasts that focus on the craft aggregated at the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. Our theme music was written by Pavlo Butorin. I'm Terry Shepard, and I'll see you in the next chapter.